So I've had the privilege in my life of living in places that people want to go to. For example, people want to go to Disneyland. And so I grew up about three miles away from Disneyland as a kid, and so a lot of my high school friends all worked at Disneyland. And then I lived in San Diego for a while, and who doesn't want to go to the beach in San Diego? The trouble is, is that's not actually a picture of the beach in San Diego, but don't worry about it. <laughs> I've lived in places where people want to go, and there's this idea that somehow going somewhere is good. It's a good thing for us to leave and to travel and to go to different places. But you know, there's been people over the last month who've been coming to Seattle. You might remember that just about a month ago or so, we hosted baseball's all-star game, and the weekend after that, Taylor Swift was here. They actually made a declaration in the city of Seattle for Taylor Swift Week when she performed two concerts at Lumen Field. And so it's been a busy time in Seattle. People have been coming into town and going. I've had to go to the airport a couple times to pick up and drop off. Trust me, there are a lot of people coming and going from Seattle these days. We have in our idea this notion that we need to go someplace adventuresome. We need to go to a new destination, a new location. We need to have fun and adventure elsewhere. And thus we look like that. Tourists, people always looking for the best kind of fun that they can possibly have wherever they might go. Now, yesterday morning, we sent our seven missionaries on their way to Columbia for their short-term mission trip. And they had to fly from Seattle to Miami, change planes in Miami, and get their flight to Columbia. Here's an update this morning from the mission. Hello team, Hi, First Free Methodist Church. Uh, we are in Miami at the moment because last night due to planes getting in and missing we, uh, we didn't make it on our plane to Colombia. Um, the church back in uh, Perea is currently praying for us. We were told that they are in full prayer and fasting. We have a flight for tonight that we're going to get there. Um, but we just ask for your prayers, and we thank you for all of your support. Uh, say hi, team. Bye. Bye. Wish us luck. <laughs> they sent that to me this morning. They shot that in front of their hotel in Miami. They're supposed to be in Columbia, not Miami. And so they have a flight out tonight, hopefully, that they'll be able to get to Columbia tonight and then on to uh, Perea uh, tomorrow. So before we continue, why don't we pray for those folks and their journey together? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for these seven who have committed and dedicated themselves to being on mission for you in Columbia. Travel is a problem, God. And we confess that we know that all too well. So we pray today that you would surround them in the midst of this experience with a, a deepened sense of community. Bond this team in a way that they have not yet known, even as they are delayed sitting in an airport ready to leave. We pray for safe travel. We pray for fruitful ministry. We pray, God, that the lives of these seven and the seven that these lives touch be transformed and that in turn you would return them to us in just over a week 
so that we too might be transformed with them. We pray for them today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, sometimes we think that in order to be a missionary for God, you got to go to Colombia, or you got to go to someplace exotic or some other destination, or you have to, to go somewhere. The same way in which we think that in order to have fun, we're required to go someplace in order to do that. One of my favorite thinkers on the life of the church and mission it was the great 20th century theologian, Leslie Newbigin, and he says this, that the, the church gathers to send, and it sends people to gather. The church gathers to send, and it sends to gather. And I think that's true not only of the seven that are on their way to Columbia, but I think that's true for many of us in our own lives. So we have to figure out and wonder about how we understand mission and missionary and what does that mean? And do we need to go someplace for that to happen or is there another context in which we might experience being in mission for God? There's an important truth for every single one of us in the body of Christ to know about that. And I'll share that with you at the end of the sermon today. I just want to put some pieces of the puzzle together before we get there. This text in Acts chapter 1 is the very same text that we preached on in this church back in April. You might remember when Reverend Celeste Cranston was here, and she preached on this text and the companion text to it in Luke's gospel. It's the story of Jesus's ascension. After 40 days following his resurrection, Jesus was ascended into heaven. Now, during those 40 days, Jesus met and taught his disciples. He met them not only in Jerusalem, he met them in the Galilee, in a variety of different places. All of the Gospels, all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us of stories of Jesus' encounters after his resurrection. And so with all that in mind, with the three years of Jesus' ministry that the disciples walked around the earth with Jesus, with Jesus' death and resurrection having happened, and the 40 days after his resurrection with Jesus teaching them, Jesus finally tells his disciples, all right, I'm leaving. And then they look at him and say, Lord, here's the verse. Is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And so um, that's in the moment in which Jesus likely put his palm to his forehead, something like this. Now, the, the question the disciples are asking is well-intended, but it's limited by its vision. It makes the assumption that the redemption of God, in other words, God's salvation, has to come through the political state of Israel. Not just the Savior, Jesus, coming from Israel, but like the literal national political state of Israel. And they also believe that the movement of God's Spirit is intended only for Israel. Like, everything that needs to happen in God's purpose and plan for the rest of time has to happen through the nation of Israel. And they're somewhat driven by conventional thinking because they don't really understand a different way God could redeem the world. I mean, after all, the disciples are part of the Jewish community that have lived in continuity for centuries and even millennia, believing that God was going to save the world through the nation Israel. Never mind the fact that Jesus is from the nation of Israel and he's the one that saves the world. They're still functioning in kind of a socio-political 
sort of framework. They can't really understand yet that God has saved the world in Jesus. They think it has to happen through the nation of Israel, almost as if the nation had been restored to uh, the likeness of what it was under King David a thousand years earlier. It's really not a matter of whether or not Israel is going to do something or not. Jesus makes it clear that the mission he's sending his disciples on will happen in the nation of Israel. It'll happen in Jerusalem and Judea, and we'll get to that in a minute. The disciples believe that the kingdom of God is supposed to be something natural and political, and it is neither of those things. The kingdom of God, Jesus tells us many times, is where? It's within you. And that the kingdom of God grows within us and grows within community. It is the place where the reign and rule of God is established. In other words, wherever Jesus is, that's where the kingdom of God is. And Jesus is here in our midst. Would you not agree? <laughs> of course you'd agree. Jesus is here in our midst. And in other churches gathering around the city of Seattle today, Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, different congregations all over the city, the presence of Jesus is in those places and in those people, and that's the movement of God in the world. That's the kingdom of God happening. It's not political. It's, it's something in us and through us that's making God's grace manifest in the world. So what I find is in my experience, churches sometimes have a hard time holding this balance. So let me give you an example. The disciples said, is that at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel in verse 6. So what would be our version of the same question? Sounds reasonable. Well, let's think about it as a church, as a community together with the journey we've been on as a congregation since our founding back in the 19th century. How would we say that same question? It could sound like this. Lord, is that at this time, first free will be full again? You didn't expect me to say that, huh? Lord, is at this time you expect first free to be full again? You know, when uh, we send a short-term mission trip like we are right now to Colombia, and over the years I've been a part of churches where we've sent lots of short-term mission trips to Mexico, especially when I lived in California. We would go to Tijuana, go to Ensenada, dozens of mission trips with high schoolers and adults. I've done them all. And every time we would organize to go on a mission trip, every time we would raise funds to go on a mission trip, whatever it might be, um, there was always a few people in the congregation that would say, why are you going to Ensenada or Tijuana or Colombia when we have issues right here that need to be dealt with? And for a long time, when I was younger, and I was younger, trust me, I would think to myself, what's wrong with that person? Don't they understand that this is an important work for us to do? And as I got older, I got kicked around a few times by good parishioners who told me, Craig, maybe they're not so much upset about Colombia or Mexico, and maybe what they really have is a burden for what's happening right here in our own city. And the only way they know how to talk about it is through objection. We don't think this other thing's a good idea. When in fact it actually reveals, well, they may not have a heart for that kind of mission, but maybe they have a different kind of heart. Maybe they have a heart for the kind of mission that happens right here. 
And they're just learning how to talk about that. They're learning how to own that in their own lives. And so our goal to answer that question is that at this time, First Tree will be full again. No, we're not trying to build Disneyland. No, we're not trying to build Magic Mountain here. And nor are we trying to build my beloved Knott's Berry Farm. None of those things. The idea of a church isn't for it to gather people inside its walls and hold them. We are not in the business of canned food. We are in the business of distributing the grace and love of God out into the world. That's our work of sharing that grace and love. We need to be mobilized is the word that's often used for this. But instead of being mobilized in one place, we're to be mobilized in many places. And Jesus tells us in this passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, exactly what that looks like. He says in that particular verse, Acts 1, 8, the first thing that will happen is that we, or in this case, the disciples in the text, but we too will receive power. We're going to receive power. And we, as a church, talked about this back in May when we were thinking and wondering about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the life of the church and in our lives. What we learn in this text in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is that Jesus says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. That's what the verse says. So the giving of the Holy Spirit is purposeful. It's not because Jesus wanted to give us something nice. It's purposeful. And its purpose is that it's the capacity to fulfill the mission that God has given to the church and has given to the church for 2,000 years. Follow it this way, is that we have the Spirit to accomplish a mission. And if we don't have a mission, we don't need the Holy Spirit. And the same is true, that if we have a mission from God, isn't it good news that God has given us the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission? That there's no amount of time or money that any of us have that could possibly accomplish the mission God has sent us on. We need something that is inexhaustible, something that never wears out, something that never gets old. We need something that endures from generation to generation. We need something that will last longer than any of us in this room. It's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that guided the first free Methodist to plant a church here in Seattle back in 1880 or so. That same Holy Spirit is right here with us today. You see, friends, in the church, the continuity isn't the building. It's not necessarily the human beings in it. The continuity is what? The Holy Spirit is the continuity. It's what connects everything together. The Holy Spirit is given to us for purpose. And then Jesus says, second, you shall be my witnesses in verse 8. Now, witnesses talk about what they've seen and heard. Witnesses are not the star of the show, are they? Witnesses are people who talk about what they have seen and heard. Jesus is still central. They simply just bear witness to him. And that's our work, is to bear witness to Jesus. So, that means we have to have an experience of Jesus in our own life 
to be able to talk about that, what we've seen and heard. We have to have an experience of Jesus together so that we'll make mention of what it is to be a person in relationship to Jesus and in a community of Jesus followers, witnesses. That means ego has no place here because we're just witnesses. We're not the originators of it. We're not the star of the show. We're just witnesses. So the Holy Spirit is given so that we can be witnesses. Now here comes the good part. Where? Jesus says you'll be my witnesses in four places. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let's talk about those four very quickly. First, Jerusalem. In the context of Acts chapter 1, that's where the disciples are. So Jesus is having this conversation with them in Jerusalem. And he's having this conversation with them to make it clear that the witnessing work they're going to do is not about going to some exotic destination. It's not about traveling around the world somewhere. It's not getting stuck in Miami. That the mission happens right in the context, right in the place, right where you are. Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem would be what, everyone? Seattle. That's our Jerusalem. And so the burden that many of us carry for this city, the city that is suffering in many ways, our burden for this city is part of God's call to be in mission. Not only do we have the tangible ways our city is in pain today, whether it be addiction to drugs, whether it be people without homes who are on the street. Even this week, we finally had the first person come through our fostering hope storeroom on the first floor who was escaping from the sex trade in this city. And I thank God for that. You might remember Pastor Camille making mention of this organization in the city of Seattle called The Rest, Real Escape from the Sex Trade. We had the first person that that organization works with come through and be able to gather some things for their household so that they would be able to get out of that trade and into a new form of livelihood. Isn't that exciting? I'm excited. You see, that's doing something tangible, but it's rendering compassion to people in the name of Jesus. And then that opens the door for us to speak the name of Jesus. That's the moment when we can speak that name and say to people, we love you. And so does God. So some of us are called the ministry right here. Right here in the city of Seattle. Now, Jesus says there's a second place that there'll be witnesses. He says in Judea. Now, Judea is the region surrounding the city of Jerusalem. You might imagine Judea the best way to imagine it would be like a county in our terms geographically. It's like a, a larger area than a city, but it's not as big as a nation in and of itself. Now, in this particular area of Judea, that means some of the disciples might find their way to other communities and other places where they might bear witness to the greatness of God. They might do so in a region around there, and when we read the book of Acts, that certainly happens. So what would be our region? What's our Judea? 
You could answer that a couple of different ways. Maybe the Pacific Northwest, you might say King County, you could say the Puget Sound area. There's lots of different ways we could describe that if we just stay in terms of geography. And so maybe there's ways in which God is calling people in our church to, to be in mission beyond just the city of Seattle, but in this region and in this area. Ways in which we can touch and minister to lives in which we never thought possible. I'll take you back in time, 20, 25 years ago, you remember that in this church, some of the founding families of the Timberlake Church, which is way out on the eastern side of Lake Washington, a huge free Methodist church, there were people in this church that went to help start that church. They had a sense of that kind of regional mission. And granted, they were probably living closer to that area, but the, there's this tug to be a part of this new movement that God is doing in the region. And some people feel called to do that. So you have Jerusalem, you have Judea, and then you have Samaria. Who lives in Samaria, everyone? Samaritans live there. And the Jews and the Samaritans do not like each other at all. Samaria is the county, if you will, to the north of where Judea is. And the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along eye to eye at all. There's a long story about that that I don't want to get into today. Just suffice to say, they don't dig each other. So sometimes when we're talking about things like the Samaritans, here in the story it appears like geography, here to there. But perhaps the Samaritans represent something else. Perhaps the Samaritans, because of their animosity with the Jewish community, represent people not like us. Perhaps they represent people who are different and have different values, different culture, a different way of shaping their lives. Maybe people with whom as Christians we think we might have disagreement with. God has called some of us to go to Samaria. Whatever that looks like. Whoever is in our Samaria. I would suggest to you that it may not be so much a geography as it is a demography of people or an ethnography of people. Some people are called to that work. It's important work. And then finally, Jesus says, to the ends of the earth. Now, if I took you back in time to the first century, and I went into any Roman magistrate's office or any Roman governor's office, and I said, show me a map. They would get a map out that they had prepared on papyrus, and they would unroll it and lay it out before you. And on the map, you would see the world. Now, if you're Roman and you have the arrogant hubris of Roman imperialism, the world as it exists is only where Rome rules. So where Rome doesn't rule, that, that, that's nothing. The only world there is is where Rome rules. So if they opened up that map for you, you would see on the far western end of that map, Spain. And after that, end of the earth. That's actually what it was called on the map, the ends of the earth. And on the eastern end of the map, you would find the country that in that day was called Ethiopia. And next to it, it would say literally, the ends of the earth. Those are the ends of the earth. So when Jesus says, you're going to go to the ends of the earth, you understand what he means. You're going to go to the very edge of what we know there is. You're going to go right up to the boundary of the places that are undiscovered, that we don't know, that no one's been to perhaps before, you're going to go to those kinds of places. 
So Jesus is saying that some of us have a mission that's in Jerusalem, in the city. Some of us have a mission that's regional, maybe here in the Puget Sound area. Some of us have a mission that is with groups of people that are wholly different from us, with maybe whom we have animosity. And then maybe some of us are called to go to the ends of the earth. So speaking of the ends of the earth, here are the missionaries we support in our church. There are seven of them. And for us, these missionaries are at the ends of the earth. You can look at the same list of our missionaries on our website. Just go to our website, ffmc.org. You'll see up on the top menu, Ministries. Click on it. You'll go down and you'll find the page that links you to the, our missionaries. We have missionaries in Latin America, in Asia. Kevin Austin works with the Set Free Movement around the world, uh, the Ukraine, Uganda, Congo, and Costa Rica. Pretty cool, huh? The giving we do as a church supports these people who are at the, at least for us, the ends of the earth. Now, remember I told you at the beginning of the sermon I had something I wanted to share with you? The one truth that's true for all of us. And this is it. Every follower of Jesus is called to mission. Every follower of Jesus is called to mission. Friends, Serving the world is not an option for us. So whether you're in the sanctuary today and you're nine, this is true for you. And if you're in the sanctuary today and you're 99, this is true for you. Every single one of us has a mission. For some of you, that mission may be the street your house is on today or the building you live in today. That could be your mission field. This church, for example, has historically had a mission field across the street at Seattle Pacific University. And so that's one of the ways we're going to be in mission in our Jerusalem. Some of you have a mission that's regional. Some of you have a mission that is with people that maybe you've never experienced or never known before. And maybe your mission is to the ends of the earth. I don't know. Friends, every single one of us has a mission. This is the truth that is unavoidable in reading Scripture, that if there's any follower of Jesus that does not have a mission, they are not a follower of Jesus. To follow Jesus means to be on a mission. To be a follower of Christ means we have to understand there's a place and a calling we each have to share the grace and love of God with other people in tangible ways. It is unavoidable. It is in many ways the transforming power of our gospel that we were gathered into this place. Why? To be sent. And when we're sent, we are sent to gather. The good news is you're not in this alone. All of us are in the mission together, and what do we have to help us accomplish that mission? Who? The Holy Spirit. And the relief of being on a mission for God is it's not up to us. It's up to God. All God needs is people who will go. One of my favorite theologians is named Barbara Brown Taylor. And she wrote a book a number of years ago in which she said, 
that worship, true worship, is an evicting experience. I pray that we would all be evicted and convicted today. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for the power and work of your Holy Spirit. God, we could never do any of the things you invite us to do on our own. We are totally dependent on you, and we confess that today. Certainly, our seven missionaries sitting in Miami are confessing that right now, that they are totally dependent on you. And so, God, if we lack that dependence, drive us to it. If we feel like we don't have a mission, open our eyes to it. Show us, God, all the ways you're calling us to be in mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.